1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, Saints, we will go to verse 16. Uh, We will consider verse 16 and 17, primarily verse 17 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the strength and power of the Spirit that lives within. We pray, Lord, that you would give to us grace this morning as we hear and consider your word. Help us, Lord, to see why we should pray and how we should pray this morning. And Lord, help us to do so with all diligence, without ceasing. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. Dear saints, I greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I do once again welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our short series, Encouragements, While We Wait. Last Lord's Day, we considered rejoicing in God as communion with God. And today, with God's help, we shall consider praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all things as communion with God. Praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all things as communion with God. Uh, The will of God for us, the people of God, is that we would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things. We learned that this is a disposition of our heart. That joy is not necessarily an outward expression, but it is always an inward disposition of the heart. Uh, That is, that we lean into the commands of God. We don't lean away from the commands of God. And so it is with prayer and thanksgiving. Pray without ceasing is a leaning disposition. Giving thanks in all things is a leaning and disposition. This is the description of the Christian life. Uh, The life of the believer, the life of the sojourner, if you will, is one of enjoying constant communion with God. God is an immutable, that is, unchangeable source of joy. Therefore, we can always have a disposition of joy in God because God is unchanging. Communion is also and always is extended to prayer and thanksgiving. We are commanded to pray without ceasing. We are commanded to give thanks in all things. Brothers and sisters, this is communion with God. This is fellowship with God. Uh, We might even be asking, as I did when I was younger, when I would hear pray without ceasing. Is it even possible to pray without ceasing? Is it possible to to pray and never stop praying? Or, and if if it's not, then what does this even mean to pray without ceasing? Praying without ceasing could could be translated as this. With all diligence, pray. Paul uses the same word here earlier in the epistle twice. 
without ceasing is two words, but Paul uses it really one because it really is just one word in the Greek. And it's describing the, the way in which we pray. Paul uses this in chapter 1 and verse 2 when he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you. It's the same word. Paul is saying he regularly prays. In prayer, Paul, here's what it means. Paul did not leave the church out of his prayer life. That when Paul prayed, he prayed for the church and did not fail to pray for the church. That when Paul prayed, he did not leave them out of his prayers. That's, that's the meaning of the word. It was as if the apostle was saying to the church, when I pray, I don't leave you out. I constantly mention you. As a matter of fact, he, he says as much in chapter 2 and verse 13, we also thank God constantly for, for this. Uh, Paul is saying in prayer, I am constantly, that is, when I pray, I don't leave this matter out of my prayer life. It's constant. It's without ceasing. The same word and the same idea. Constantly, I'm not leaving you out. Uh, look around the church. Anybody that you're leaving out of your prayers? Paul is saying, I constantly pray for you. I pray without ceasing for you. It's the kind of concepts the word communicates. Uh, so when Paul says, pray without ceasing... He doesn't mean pray a prayer and never stop praying. I hope that's helpful for somebody. I hope that for at least one person in here, oh, praise God, that's such a relief for me. Rather, it means that prayer should always, it should always be a part of our lives. In every day, all throughout the day, you should have this constant uh, disposition toward prayer now saying that have you gone days without praying well this is a good day to ask the lord for forgiveness isn't it to ask the lord to forgive you me for maybe leaving him out because paul says that we are to pray without ceasing so if we are going through our days and leaving him out it's a good reminder for us that we should repent and ask the lord to help us prayer should not be left out of our lives After worship last week, I said to one of our dear members, it is involving God in every aspect of your day. When you're about to rise, pray. When you lie down, pray. When you're about to take a test in school, kids, and some adults, pray. Lord, give me wisdom, help me to focus. Uh, When you're about to drive, our brother Scott is going to be driving all the way to Arizona. That's an eight, nine hour opportunity for him to pray. When you're about to drive to your, your job across town, or maybe just down the street, pray. And when you're at home cooking and cleaning, all of us, pray. Uh, when you're changing babies, pray. When you're feeling impatient with your spouse, Pray. When you're thankful for your spouse, pray. Uh, When you're going to make an important decision, pray. Uh, Not which chips, Doritos, or Funyuns. When you're going to make important decisions, pray. When maybe sometimes you're in church and there are things that, that frustrate you, irritate you, pray. 
Prayer should be a part of the regular rhythm of your life. You're not leaving God out of your life. Prayer, therefore, is not garnished to be left on the side. Prayer is not an unfruitful, unenjoyable chore. Prayer, dear saints, it's fellowship and communion with God. And it's fellowship and communion with God without ceasing. Let me ask you this. Do you want ever to stop having fellowship with God? Do you want ever to stop having communion with God? No, prayer is one of those acts and markers of the Christian life that shows I enjoy. That's the key word. I enjoy fellowship with God. Do we always, uh, are we always enjoying the the moment when we say, "I, I know I should pray. Some of us sometimes, if we're honest, can say there are times when I don't want to pray. Tell God that. Would you be telling God something that he does not already know? You would be telling him everything that he already knows. God, I know I don't want to pray to you. What is that? That's the faith of a mustard seed coming to God and saying, I don't really desire it. Lord, give me a desire. And what does God do? We'll talk about this in a moment. But God answers prayers like that. Have you ever not wanted to pray and then found yourself praying longer than when you normally do want to pray? The Lord is faithful. The same word is used, uh, this constantly, this without ceasing. The same word is used when Christ speaks about the woman who washed his feet with her hair. The Pharisees and those of the law said, if you knew who it was who was touching you, who was uh, kissing your feet, you would have nothing to do with her. And the Lord says, this woman, from the time that I've come into your house, she has not ceased kissing my feet. It was something that she did and that she was dedicated to. She gave of her time. She gave of her attention. She gave of her energy to give that kind of affection to Christ. That kind of devotion. That kind of fellowship. That kind of communion to Christ. Communicate someone who is dedicated to something and someone who is not willing to give it up. This is what praying without ceasing is. Thessalonians, we constantly mention you in our prayers and we won't give it up. We don't cease to give thanks to God for you and we won't stop giving thanks to God for you. The woman kissed the feet of her master and did not cease. Let's all challenge ourselves with this question right now, myself especially included. Do I pray like that? Am I mindful of God? Do I desire to fellowship with God like that without ceasing? We all could say, help me, Lord. So when God commands us to pray without ceasing, it is with all diligence, pray. Uh, When we command our kids, clean your room. We are not telling our kids to clean your room and don't ever stop cleaning your room. Right? Right? It's not go in there and don't ever come out. Rather, it's a, it's a being devoted to cleaning your room. It's a maintaining. It's a keeping up. It's a don't take days off. It's when you put something, take something out, you don't just throw it back on the floor. You put it away. It's a keeping up. It's an every day. You don't take breaks from prayer, just as our children and us, us especially probably, shouldn't take breaks from cleaning our rooms. 
It's not when we get to it. It's not every now and then. It's not when I get around to it or when it comes around. It's not something that we do from time to time. It's something, prayer, that we dedicate ourselves to without ceasing. Not leaving it out. It's a part of our lives. Paul commands with all diligence, with all consistency, commune with God, pray. It's so consistent that it, that it can be called without ceasing. It's so consistent that it can be called without ceasing. Now, some who diet and exercise have days in which they rest. They call them cheat days. It's days that they take off. We don't have a day off in prayer. We don't get a cheat day in prayer. There is no, I've prayed enough. I'll take a cheat day today in prayer. It's a part of the regular rhythm of our lives. And listen, we all know this. I don't think I'm saying something to you, to any of us that is, I've never heard that ever in my life. You literally just changed my life. No, I think we all know these things. Uh, the problem is they, they are, are disciplines. And one of the greatest weaknesses in all of our lives, whether it be eating or sleeping or the tongue or you name it, is discipline. And one of our greatest challenges are spiritual disciplines. And prayer is a spiritual discipline that requires much beating of the flesh because the flesh is weak. But dear saints, the spirit is willing. Amen. Who will we yield to is the answer at the end of the day. And so this morning, we don't have 10 points or 20. I'm sorry, Brother Scott. Uh, just two points this morning concerning praying without ceasing. And let's begin with our first by asking this very simple question. And I, I, here's what my hope is for these two points this morning. My hope is is that we would be able to examine all the things that we see this morning and say, at the end, is that not a motivation to pray? That that would be our question at the end of all of these points. We would be asking ourselves, is that not a motive to pray? Is that not a motivation to pray? And if we can say yes, resoundingly, then I pray that the prayer would be an even greater part of our spiritual lives. For it is communion with God. Number one. Let's just ask, ask the question and then answer it. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? The most obvious answer is because God has commanded it. It is the will of God for our lives in Christ Jesus. God has commanded it. It is his will, his prescribed will for his creatures made in his image. God commands us to pray. God summons us to pray. He calls us. Uh, some of you have little ones who can at least answer when you call uh, my son I would say, Nazareth. And when he first initially began to answer, his response would be, yeah, from the room. And I would be quiet. I wouldn't say anything. I would wait. And I would call him again, Nazareth. Yeah, from the room, down the street, down the hall. You, you may know what I'm wanting. And I'm quiet. And he eventually comes running. Yeah, dad. And he knows this now. When I call you, Amen. you come. Amen. I won't call you from, talk to you from down the hall. When I call your name, I want you here. Right. 
We're not yelling at each other from across the room or the house. God calls you to prayer. And so often our response is, yeah. What are we saying? I'm busy. I've got other things that I'm preoccupied with. And God is saying, stop what you're doing. Come here. And what a blessing it is that we are called into his presence. He's inviting us there. We don't have to knock on the door when we come to his room, if you will. The door's open. It's wide open. God commands us to come to him, invites us in love. If God is the one who has commanded us to pray, then the motive for prayer is God. God is our God. He's called you. Go to him. Do you know how many people there are in all of the world? I don't know how many there are. But they are not called. Not every person is called. He has given you ears to hear his call. He has given you now with changed hearts and new wills, the ability and desire to come and answer the call. Are we too preoccupied? Are we too busy? We will find the motive to pray if we consider the one who calls us to pray, to fellowship and to commune with Him. Consider the Trinity of God. The Trinity of God meaning that the three and one and the one and three. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. Consider that we have been summoned to pray and to commune with our triune God. We pray to the Father. We pray to the Son. We pray to the Spirit. And we have fellowship with Him when we do. Prayer, dear saints, it should be Trinitarian. We pray to the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. Prayer is Trinitarian because each person is God. One divine essence. Three distinct persons. We can pray to the Father, we can pray to the Son, and we can pray to the Spirit. And it is perfectly appropriate to address each person of the Trinity in prayer. We can say, Spirit, bless the preaching of the Word. We can say, Christ, build your church. We can say, Father, forgive our sins. There is no indignity in praying to each person because each person is God. Equally. Eternally, essentially. The Trinity is a, of God is a motive to pray. And we confess, dear saints, don't we, that we pray to the one eternal, triune God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, uh, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure, invisible spirit, without body, parts, or passions, who hath immortality only, dwelling in light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute. That God that, that we could speak about infinitely calls you 
to commune with him. Some of our our minds were beginning to to swell as we as I was reading through some of the the the, the perfections of God, the the ways in which God is. Aren't we overwhelmed when we begin to hear words like incomprehensible, eternal, immense, immutable? It almost seems as though as though He is beyond our grasp. And yet, he has reached out to you and said, come to me in prayer. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but the old uh, classic painting of Michelangelo. And it is of Michelangelo and his first creature, Adam, reaching to one another. And in that image, it is God reaching down to man. And God with his outstretched, powerful arm. And he is drawing us to himself. Is that not a motive to pray? Why should I pray? Is that not a motive? Consider this. uh, The one whom we have spoken of took flesh and dwelt among us. The second member of the Trinity, God the Son, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. John 1.1, John 1.14. Pilgrims, uh, we should pray without ceasing because God the Son took our flesh and dwelt among us. If we ask the question, in what ways is the incarnation a, a motive to prayer? Consider God the Son, who took on our flesh to save His foreknown, foreloved people from their sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John one twenty nine, To save us. The incarnation is about salvation. Christ takes on our flesh to save us. To reconcile us to God. To deliver us from wickedness. And from condemnation to redeem us from the curse of our sin. The incarnation not only results in Christ saving us from our sins, but it results in Christ being a perpetual mediator for us. Christ is our high priest. The Father has forgiven our sins through Christ and Christ has brought us into the presence of the Father by washing washing our sins white as snow. Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we also exult in hope of the glory of God. Because our sins have been forgiven. Because we have trusted in Christ and are united in Him. Therefore, we have access to God. You can come to God because of Christ. Isn't this the argument that Hebrews brings over and over again? Christ in our flesh has brought us to the most holy place. Christ in our flesh, in in, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, has brought us into the very presence of God. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. Uh, we are ushered into the presence of Christ or God by Christ. And is that not a motive to pray? 
Consider the earthly temple of the Old Testament, the tabernacle of the Old Testament. There was a great deal of separation. It was designed in, built into the, the structures of the temple and the tabernacle. There was the outer walls, the tent of meeting, but the holy place, the most holy place. And the high priest entered once a year to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. There were so many barriers. That's what they were for the Israelites. And they were saying essentially to the people that you're not allowed to enter into the presence of God. You're not holy. You're not called. You're not a Levite. You're not a high priest. You don't, you're not allowed into the throne room of God. You can't come in. You aren't welcomed. And then Christ, with his blood, as the perfect, uh, perpetual high priest of ours, enters into the tabernacle, not made with hands. That is heaven itself. And he brings us there by faith in Christ. We are united in Christ. We are brought into the throne room of God. We are now invited to come and even to come boldly. Trusting confidently in the finished work of Christ. Is that not a motive to pray? We ought always to remember one who is in our flesh. Ascended into heaven. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And one who is in our flesh sits enthroned there forever. And we have been united to Him. And we have been promised that we will reign with Him. That we will share in His glory. Is that not a motive to pray? He's there now interceding for us. Our Savior, our mediator is in heaven. In glorified human flesh at the right hand of the majesty on high. The scriptures tell us that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Uh, That we are there with him already, not yet. If the incarnation has removed all of our sin, it brought about our adoption and given us his Holy Spirit to dwell with us. One who is in our flesh has entered into heaven ahead of us and sat down at the hand of God, the right hand of God, and ever lives to make intercession for us. One who is in our flesh is in the very presence of God. And we are in Him. And His Spirit is in us. Is that not a motive to pray? Is there any obstacle to keep us from God in prayer? No. God has removed every single obstacle. So then what is the obstacle now? If God has removed every single barrier between us and Him and brought us to Himself, what is stopping us from coming to Him boldly, confidently in prayer? He took on our flesh. He lived. He died. He rose. He tore the veil in half. He ascended to heaven. He sat down. He is there interceding for us. He is God and man in both parties. We have a high priest seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ the eternal. This is why Hebrews says to us again, let us draw near with hearts that are assured. Let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. When Paul says that we should pray with all diligence, we should pray. 
if we, brothers and sisters, if we search to motives, search for motives within ourselves to pray, then we won't pray. If we're looking for reasons in and of ourselves to pray, we're not going to pray. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still wrestling with sin. I don't think I should pray. I, I've, I find myself not knowing what to say. I don't think I should pray. I find that I don't, I'm not as eloquent as I would like to be, so I don't pray. I don't go to church as often as I should. I know I shouldn't pray. Get to church though. I find my prayers are often just too short. I shouldn't pray. I find that I'm often not as mature as I'd like to be. I don't think I should pray. If we search for reasons, motives within ourselves to pray, we will come up short every single time. Then yes, you're right. You shouldn't pray. Yes, you're right. If you're looking for reasons within yourself, you're not worthy. But you don't find motives to pray within yourself. You find motives to pray in Christ, in our triune God, in the Father, in the Son, and in the Spirit, not in you. Look at God. Look at the Trinity. Look at the Incarnation. You will have perpetual reasons, everyday reasons to pray to Him. And do you need any more reasons other than that? No. Consider the perfections of God. I'll give you another one. Consider the perfections of God. These perfections apply equally to the Father, Son, and Spirit. They belong to the essence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit who share the one divine essence. Consider the love of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. Are these not motives to pray? In the history of the world and religion, if you wanted to to get the attention of a powerful person, you've got to do something to get their attention or you've got to know someone who knows someone who knows someone to get their attention. Try to call the president today. Try to call your governor today. In some churches, try to talk to the pastor of the church. Not this church, praise be to God. Church I grew up in, they had armor bearers. You're not getting close to the pastor. Henchmen, you're not getting close to the pastor. You have to convince them. You have to be important in order for for you to get time and attention with them. Is that the way God is? Do you need to be someone in order to get to God? Does Do your elders have greater access to God than you do? And don't let anybody, any, ever, any elder ever tell you so. Do we not pray because we are not important enough? Or because we still have to convince Him to hear our prayers? God's perfections are not qualities in God that He may or may not be. God's perfections are what God is. God is His perfections and He does not have perfections. He is the perfections. Uh, We don't have to move God to be loving. We don't have to move God to be good, to, to move God to be merciful because we can't move Him to those things that He already is. When we pray, we don't need to whip up some elaborate intro to prayer in order to convince God to hear you. Take no offense to what I'm about to say, because if you do it, then that's fine. 
But it's not necessary in order for you to, for God to hear you, which is this. You don't need to call upon the different names of God in order for God to hear your prayer. I come to thee, O El Shaddai, El Elyon. Thou art Jehovah Nisi. Thou art Jehovah Rapha. Thou art Jehovah Jireh. You don't need to have a tear in your voice in order for God to hear you. You don't need to, it's not as if God's going to say, huh? He called my name, the Hebrew name. Thinking that we will be, that he will be impressed if we, who are from California, Bakersfield even, start to use and mix old English with Hebrew, thinking that God will answer your prayer. Because you, you, you took a little bit of the old English and mixed it with Hebrew. I'm impressed with that. You got it. Cha-ching. Let me be clear again. It's not wrong if you use those names. But if you think that you can use those names and there will be some kind of magic potion in order for you to get what you are asking for, you are wrong. God is love. God is mercy. And you cannot move him to those things. He is those things. If you search God for a motive to pray, you'll find one every single time. God takes no days off from being loving. God takes no days off from being merciful. God takes no days off from being gracious. If he took a day off, he would no longer be God. God is not closed for the weekends. God does not sleep. He does not slumber. He does not, he is not cranky or hungry. His throne of grace is always open to all of his children. Children, let me say to you, God is not like your mom and dad. My son can testify. I testify about him enough. He can testify about me. I'm not always sweet. I'm not always patient. I'm not always kind like I should be. But that, my son, and to all of you other children, is not a reflection of what God is. God is loving all the time. God is merciful all the time. God is never impatient. God is always longing to hear everything you want to say all the time. Isn't that good for you adults to know too? Saints, when we consider who God is and what he has done, when we consider the Trinity, his perfections, the incarnation, what more can God do? What more can God say? What more can God do but invite us to have communion with him? And is that not a motive to pray? What keeps us from prayer then? The Father is our Father. The Son is our Savior. The Spirit dwells within us. And God has given us all reasons to be confident to know that when we come to Him, He will hear us. If we consider the one to whom we pray, then we will be moved to prayer. I want to encourage you with closing this point. Pray without ceasing. I think that we've given you the reason why. Why pray? I think we've given you enough. Pray to the Father. Pray to the Son. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Pray to our triune God because of the incarnation. Uh, pray to our triune God because of his perfections. And I've only mentioned three. If you consider the one with whom you have communion, then you will be moved to a deeper communion with that one. And I pray that it will become, your prayer life will become more beautiful, more intimate. 
and that you will see great fruit in your life because of your prayer time and communion with God. Let's go to our second point. How? How should we pray? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? He tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, with all diligence or without ceasing. With all diligence or without ceasing. Now that we know why we should pray, God has commanded that if we commanded it, and we consider all the reasons why, how should we pray? We must pray with confidence in God's will. Pray with confidence in God's will. Prayer is not like your and my Christmas list. Prayer is not our wish list. God, here's all the things that I want. Give me a car, give me a house, uh, give me these new shoes, I like that new clothes, please. That, that's not the, the things that we come to God for necessarily. Do we, if we are in need, God will provide. Our prayers must be conformed to God's will. Now, that's blasphemy in some churches. We pray according to God's will. That is, if God has commanded it, if God has permitted it, If God has promised it, then that is what you pray for. We pray for these things that have been established in the scriptures. Uh, We pray for these things that have a foundation for why we are asking for them. And when we ask for those things that are found in the scriptures, that are foundational there, then we have confidence when we pray for those things. If we pray according to what God has commanded, we are asking that God would help us to obey his command. God has called us to pray. If we pray, God help me to pray more, God will answer that prayer because it's according to His will and His command. We can pray, God help me to do what you've called me to do. And we can pray with confidence that God answers those kind of prayers. They're according to His will. We pray for what God has permitted. Therefore, if we pray for what God has permitted, then we therefore don't pray for what God has not permitted. If God has, since God has permitted or commanded, do not steal, we don't pray that God would assist us in stealing money, time, or supplies from anywhere or anyone. We are commanded not to lie. Therefore, we must not pray that God would allow us to get away with deceit. It is not what God has permitted. Now, those are kind of obvious things. We must not pursue sin and pray that God would help us to escape it. We ask for those things that God has permitted. These things are permissible. And when we ask for them, God will answer those permissible things. God, help me to grow as I study your word. That's one thing that that, uh, I always pray when I begin to to study and prepare for our Lord's Day sermons. Help me, me, to grow as I study your word. And then throughout the week, I'm praying that you also would grow as we study the word together. As I hear your word preached, Lord, as I uh, seek you, help me by your spirit to apply your word. You know, God answers those kinds of prayers. Help me to grow in your word. Help me to apply your word. Help me to share your word. These are permissible things that God will answer. They They are according to his will. We can call on God also to keep his word. The Psalms are full of calls for God to keep his word. God, fulfill your promise. God, fulfill your covenant. God, do what you have promised. 
let me say, it's not reminding God either. We've heard growing up in the churches that I grew up in, uh, one of the phrases were, I'm reminding you of your word. God needs no reminder of what he has said. I heard one preacher have even the audacity to command the Holy Spirit. But we don't have the right to command God or the Holy Spirit. When we uh, say fulfill your word, fulfill your promise, we are amening what we believe God will do. We are saying, amen, you will fulfill your word. Amen, you will do what you have promised. Amen, you will keep your covenant. Why? Because God is faithful. We are taught to pray this way by Christ in John 14, who says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What's the, the caveat in that passage? Not whatever you ask. The caveat is in his name. The things that are asked in his name must be asked, therefore, according to his will. And according to that which he commands. It's not whatever you want. It's the things that are asked in accordance with his name. If they are asked in accordance with his name, he will do them. First uh, John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, not if we ask anything, but if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. What does he hear? He hears those things that are in accordance with his will. He doesn't just hear the things because you've asked them. They must be in accordance with his will. And if we know that he, what? Hears us because we pray it according to his will. We have whatever we've asked. We know that the request which we have asked from him will be given. What does that require of you and I? It requires uh, of you and I to know the details of the document, of the covenant. What has God promised then? If we are longing for God to answer his word, then we've got to know his word. If we are longing for God to answer his will, we've got to know his will. Jesus says that these, uh, says you ask things in my name and they will be granted. John says we have confidence that we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And we know that he hears us and that we have the request that we've asked for. So we can pray confidently in the name of Jesus. And if it's according to God's will, then it will be granted. Praying according to the name of Jesus does not mean that you knew, that you can use the name of Jesus as some kind of magical formula and that he'll answer, therefore. I, you will be healed in the name of Jesus. You probably have heard that growing up. I know I did. And if you say it with that kind of force and thrust, it's supposed to be given to you. Not so. What does James say? We make these plans. We make all these plans. You should say, who are you? Who are you? You should say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. If we ask in his name, it must be according to his name and his will. Revealed to us in his word. We can call on God to forgive our sins. Because that is the promise to us. And we can expect him to do so. Because he promised we should pray with reverence also and familiarity. We're talking about how to pray. Reverence to God and familiarity to God. Having considered the Trinity and the incarnation of God, we can understand uh, these two different sides of reverence and familiarity. Praying with 
reverence, meaning that we ought to pray in a way that respects the majesty and infinite greatness of God. You're coming to God when you pray. You don't get to say, hey, dude. Bro. What's up, JC? There's no reverence there. Let me also eliminate something that may be uh, a sacred cow for some. Abba does not mean that God will hear you because you've, so, you've used the word Abba. Abba means, does not mean daddy. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Just as pater is the Greek word for father, so is Abba. Christ is using interchangeably, as most people did during that time, the common word for father in prayer. Don't think that you're going to him and saying, Abba, Abba, and that he's thinking you're saying, Daddy, Daddy. You're just saying, Father. And it will bring you no more closer to the presence of God than my God who is in heaven. We don't see anything like that match in scriptures. You'll not be more intimate with him just because you call him Jehovah Rafi or Abba. And yet, we are told in the scriptures to pray. With this reverent introduction, our Father, who is in heaven. And that grasps the reverence that we have for God. And familiarity. He's your Father. If you are in Him, He is your Father. It is a relational, intimate term. He is our Father where? In heaven. He reigns in heaven and He is our Father. And we, we, when we pray, we choose phrases and language that are from scripture that, but, but that combine the two, reverence and familiarity. And not one that pushes away God, but one combined with familiarity that draws God as he already is nearer to you because he is your father. God is your father. We are to pray with openness. How do we pray? Pray with openness. Speak plainly about your life and your condition. Are you struggling? Tell God. Are you rejoicing? Tell God. Are you having uh, maybe difficulty in different ways? Tell God. Are you confused about something? Tell God. Uh, is, are things starting to make sense to you? Tell God. You can speak plainly to God about your life. Read the Psalms. You'll see this personal these direct expressions about one's life and one's condition. Tell God. The psalmist will say, my, my God, he says, my heart faints. What do you see? Reverence and familiarity. My God, my bed is filled with tears. Reverence and familiarity. My God, my bones are wasting away. Reverence and familiarity. Prayer does not mean that you cannot speak to God about yourself. I've heard people say... Attempting to sound pious. I don't even pray for myself. Why not? You don't need no help. I do. I need a lot of help. I pray that I would be a good shepherd in my home. That I would be a good husband to my wife. That I would be a good father to my children. That I would be a good shepherd in this church. That I would love you. That I would be uh, faithful to this. I need help. You don't need help. Everybody else needs help, but not you. You better spend some more time praying for yourself. No, you can pray for yourself. Read the Psalms. Aren't they always personal? Communion with God is a personal relation with God. 
I'm always confused about the people when I say, what can I pray for you for? And they want to talk about everybody else. No, I'm talking about you. What can you, what do you need prayer for? I'm okay. <laughs> Are you? It is openness to God our Father. It, it is bringing to God your needs and your concerns. And it is another example of communion that the Christian has with God. Is that not a motive to pray? That we have communion with God. It is a communicative, expressive life of fellowship with God. God is not a stranger, brothers and sisters. God is not aloof. He is our Father and He is in heaven. Here's some other ways you should pray. Pray with patience. Pray with humility. Especially when it comes to God's timing. Because it's not like our timing. My dad used to sing, he's an on-time God. May not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. But he doesn't come when you want him, does he? Why? It's because his wisdom is greater than our wisdom. It's because we are told to pray according to his will and not our own. We must not pray with demands on God. Nor should we ever pray trying to negotiate with God. God, if you do this, I promise from now on I will. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We must humbly offer our petitions and patiently wait for God's sovereign wisdom to unfold. Boy, is that hard. God, here is my petition. Now do it. Isn't it hard to wait on when God will do what you're asking him to do if he does, if he so wills to do it? We are given various examples of how we make our plans and pray God's blessing and pray in the conclusion, if the Lord wills it, your will be done, not my own. That's humility. Here's what I'm asking for. But Lord, you are wiser than I am. You are God and I am not. And sometimes patience is not just about yeses and noes. The way God answers us is oftentimes completely outside of the way that we expect it, isn't it? It could be a yes, it could be a no. It could be a yes, but not now. And a, and a no, but not in the no that you think it's a no. Don't ever think that you can interpret the will and the providences of God as it's unfolding before our eyes. A person that we could completely dismiss. Our, one of our sister, Ophelia, recently said uh, she's reconnected with a friend who she knew a year and a half ago or so, who even came to our church. They stopped talking because I guess some people don't like the gospel preached truthfully. And so she said, I thought we were just never going to connect again. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she calls me. And she wants to reconnect our friendship. We don't know what God will do through that. It may be the Lord's will that he brings her to truth. It may be the Lord's will that she did hear something that's been bugging her for the past year and a half. And now she may have many questions and it could be that the Lord is drawing near. Who knows? Who knows? We should be humble, praying that he is God and we are not. And humility should lead us to praise. Humility should never lead you, brothers and sisters, to frustration. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm not in control. That's that's pride. 
Humility is saying, I don't know, but God does, and I trust Him. That's humility. And that leads you and I to praise. He should be praised. Praise Him openly. Praise Him for His perfections. Praise Him for His grace. Praise Him for His preserving grace. Praise Him for the gifts of family that He's given to you. Praise Him for the church that He's given to you. Praise Him for the job, even though we don't like it from time to time. Praise Him for the job that He's given to you. Uh, Praise Him that He works all things together for good and that all good comes from Him. You know what kind of job I have when I go throughout the day? Think about the things that you drop on your carpet. All of you. Think about the things that fall on your tile. I go and clean those up for you. Praise be to God that I have a job. I could be jobless. I could be homeless. But God has provided and He is so good. No, I'm not an NBA star. I'd like to be. I wish I was. I used to, uh, I remember, I remember Tony when I was about 10 years younger. We were out in our front yard and he was trying with all of his might to get me to dunk on this nine foot five court. And he was, you got it in you. You got it in you. He kept throwing me these alley-oops. I could, just couldn't get it. I'm sorry, Tony. I, if I had five more inches or if that thing was lower five. It's not my, it wasn't my lot in life to be Michael Jordan. I wish I was. The Lord made me a carpet cleaner and a pastor. God is good. Praise Him for the good things you have in your life. Are you as healthy as you want to be? None of us are. But let me just let you in on a secret. It's going to get worse. Tony, I'm sorry. When I was 20, when I first met him, and I was strong and healthy, he used to say, you watch. You watch. It's all going to break down. It's all going to break down. You're going to get slower. You're not going to be able to lose that weight like you used to. It's all going to break down. Praise God for that. We are heading toward pilgrims, our celestial city, where we will be there forever. To God be the glory. Praise him for all the good things. You don't have as much money as you want. Praise God. You don't have the car that you'd like to drive. Praise God. You don't have filet mignon and lobster every day. Praise God. God has given you a house. He's given you a church, a family. You're going to eat good today. God is always good, isn't he? Our communion with God is not just about telling God about our own lives, but it's also praising him. It involves ourselves praising God and rejoicing in the Lord, giving thanks in all things, praying without ceasing, directing ourselves to him who is the source of joy and goodness. And if we look to God, he is an infinite, immutable source of joy. Yes, look at your life. We're going to see all sorts of things that we're going to say. I wish that was better. I wish this was better. I wish that was better. That's not the source of joy. God is. Don't look here. You will find yourself disappointed. Look to God. It's an immutable source of joy. He's an immutable, he is an immutable source of joy. Pray with persistence. In practice. Paul says, pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Paul planted churches, moved on from there to other cities. Uh, the church that, that, that he was writing to, First Thessalonians, had a rough start because of persecution. Uh, there was one man, Jason, who was dragged from his home. His goods were ransacked. Their faith was tried and tested. Paul was concerned for them. Were they pressing on in their faith? Paul prayed for them, for their help, for their preservation. And they preserved. God kept them. They received the word. 
Paul prayed for these things. But Paul did not just pray for them. Paul was was active in what he was praying for. He, he did everything within his power to help them, to strengthen that church so that they could be strengthened in their walk. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 really quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 17. These will be very quick. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We're in all the more we're all we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Paul wants to see them. They had troubles. They longed to see them. First Thessalonians chapter three and verse one through two. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we prayed. We wanted to see you. I can't take it anymore. We thought it would be best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Here we see these two things together. On the one hand, Paul, Titus and Timothy, they're praying to God on behalf of the church to uphold the church, to protect the church, to preserve the church. And Paul, on the other hand, doing his best to get to the church, to help them. And when he physically couldn't, he sends Timothy and he sends Titus. He's not just praying. He's doing all that he can within his power. Because when you begin to act on the things that you're praying for, you're, ha- you're trusting in faith that God will open certain doors to answer his prayer. Answer your prayers. Paul's persistent in prayer, but also persistent in practice. I'm praying for you. What do you need? Uh, I need a refrigerator. We'll see what we can do. You'll hear more about that today at our members meeting. As we are in constant prayer, we must be diligent in putting to practice the things in which we're praying for. We're praying for those people on the list. How are you reaching out to them? Prayer and practice. We're praying for, for those to be saved. When was the last time you shared the gospel with them? Prayer and practice. Our prayers must be coupled with action. If we're praying for healing, we must not neglect the means that God has given us to help our bodies. If we're praying for strength spiritually, we must attend to the means of grace that God provides for your spirit strength. If we want to grow in Christ, we must attend to the, to the means that God has provided for our growth in Christ. Lord, help me to grow. Come to church. Lord, help me to know more of your word. Come to a Bible study. It's not just going to magically... I know his word now. Come, gather with the saints. You've heard of the man who was stranded out in sea. And while he was stranded out in sea, he prayed that God would save him. And all of a sudden, as he prayed, there passed by him driftwood. And he watched it go. Continue to pray, Lord, save me from the depths of this sea. Then all of a sudden, there was a man who came by in a, a small rowboat. Hey, you want to get in? No, I'm praying that God would save me. All of a sudden, a cruise liner passed by and threw out a life preserver. He said, no, thanks. I'm waiting for God to save me. I'm guilty of this. 
How many times have I done this with those who are on this list? Praying for them, but when I see them face to face, there is no sharing of the gospel. There is no action that is coupled with my prayer. Can you have a communion with God that's not lived out? No. If you have communion with God, it must be lived out in your everyday life. We have heard this time and time again. You can't live for the Lord on the Lord's day and live like the devil throughout the rest of the week. There is no fellowship and communion with God with that kind of a person. And in closing, in all things, we must give thanks. The Christian life is one of communion at all times. And as we commune with God, we give thanks to him. The epistles connect prayer and thanksgiving. They go hand in hand. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Colossians 4.2. Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. For Paul to praise, to give thanks, and to give thanks in prayer. It is the normal part of the Christian life. God is a constant source of joy and goodness, and he is also a constant source of thanksgiving. We can be joyous in all things and give thanks in all things, because God works all things together for good. Give him praise. God's grace to us in Christ is the reason to give thanks. Think of the covenants. Think of all the, the reasons that God gives us to give thanks. He's cleared every obstacle to bring us to himself in Christ. Give him thanks. Is that not a motive to pray? I pray that in these past three sermons that you have seen that communion with God is available to you. He's called us to joy. He's called us to prayer. He's called us to thanksgiving. If this is communion with God, then you, dear saints, will have rich spiritual fellowship with him. I pray that that's what you desire. That it is a motive for prayer. Let's pray.